Hello and welcome to the 88th episode of Indie Radio, a weekly podcast in which we chat with the creative minds involved with the creation of indie games. I'm Brad Hudson, and today I spoke with Seymour and Winham from TriHeart Interactive about the Manchester Studios' debut title, The Ottoman Empire, the transition between being university students to full-time game developers, running events, and what's next for the studio. For those who aren't familiar with The Ottoman Empire, how would you describe the game? The Ottoman Empire's fast action party shooter set in outer space where players assume control of eight anthropomorphic animals as they battle it out for victory in local split-screen multiplayer madness. And as far as your role in the team, what do you do? Oh, so I'm one of the um, directors and the community manager on the game and one of the founders of TriHeart Interactive. Initially, I, I'm one of the founders of the company. There was, there was four founders of us, and I was kind of a level designer at the beginning. But mm-hmm. as we thought of, because we um, originally, we actually scrapped what the original game was. So we got a year into development, and we basically just said, this game sucks. We're going to rebuild the whole thing from scratch. So I kind of moved away from level design at that point and started to focus more on community management, because when you're a bunch of university students who have just come out of university thinking you can make this big, massive Switch Xbox game, and you don't know how to mm-hmm. actually build it, Someone actually has to take that role on. So the business partner, Kieran Rogers, actually took on the role of level designer. And I focused all my effort on actually trying to build up the community around the Omni Empire. So, you know, just setting up the Discords, the Twitters, learning how the internet works, learning how. I'd never even been on Reddit before this, before we even started this project. And that was a beast within itself, like learning what Reddit was and learning all these different things. My job now is basically just doing all of the outreach stuff. So, you know, like traditional PR, working with our PR team working with the community, designing anything for the community, and then on top of that, there's also my directional duties so helping guide the actual overall end products of the project as well. Uh, Kieran mostly does a lot of that as well. A lot of that comes down to his vision, but he'd go mental without me, because we're the only two like business-orientated people in the studio, and they're all the rest of very creative people, so that's kind of what we do. We focus on the business element side of things as well, because it's a very important part within an indie studio. I would say that that's the biggest challenge with indies is that yeah. you don't have multi-million dollar budgets to just like oh. throw your game up on billboards and whatnot. I, I wish I wish we had that so we could hire someone to do all that stuff for us so we could just go like, we just want to make more games. Please, can we hire a business person to come take this on for us? Please, we want to get back into doing that because that stuff takes so much time up and doing it. It's, but it's all very important, especially with indies. It's the sort of stuff you don't hear to- indies talk about a lot because you know it takes up so much of the time and they just want to focus on making the games, which fair enough. But that's kind of what myself and Kieran mainly focus on, more the business element side of things and doing more of the actual marketing and launching all the product more than anything. Not not as much launch anymore now that we're a month or after that, but feels kind of a bit more chilled now. It's like, you know, things have gone from this big whoa and now it's like Okay, we can chill now. We can big weight, three year weight off our shoulders. We can chill now and start working on like updates and more stuff. Listen to me, and it's been great watching all the YouTube videos and just mm-hmm. hearing everything. Love everyone's Twitch streams. I, I love it. I love watching people whether they love or hate it. There's always it's just great. You know, when you've made something for three years and then you see people playing, it, it's like, ah, do they like it? Do they hate it? That's our thing. Yeah, you, you really get to see that. What, what you've been working towards finally come to fruition. And, and oh, when you work, good, good feeling. Yeah, it's one of those, you're working in a bubble for so long, you've come so close to the project that you, you kind of just push it out into the world and then it's everyone else's project at that point. It's no longer just yours. And 
it's very it's very interesting as well from just a standpoint just to be able to quantify all those reactions and then look at how to make the game even better since you're so closely interacting with the community that there's been a lot of feedback that has come in like since the game has been launched i also believe you were in beta for a little while how did you sort through that feedback and apply it to the game so we're very community orientated so we do a lot of you know we're very open like you know hey guys we're in the beta come in the discord have a chat with us download the demo and then we have community play testing as well so we actually have our most of our qa team actually comes from the community so if you're based in the UK, we actually ask you to come to the studio and actually help us test play the game. And three of the 12 members of our actual community are just people who joined from Twitter and uh, people who joined from the Discord because we like getting the community involved within the actual development of the game because they, mm -hmm. they were in development. It's their game as much as ours. And the community have just given us so much useful feedback because we try and have a range of different types of people play this game because you know this was a game that was made for kids, but also appeals to adults, it appeals Nintendo Switch players, it's on PC, it's on Xbox, so we kind of wanted all the feedback to kind of appeal to those kind of gamers in general, then bring those in and we can quantify that so we can make a product that will appeal to as many people as possible. Quantifying all that data takes a lot of time, especially as an indie studio, but it's a very, very rewarding thing when you see people doing it, even if it does involve like a massive pile of paperwork like this high. That you've got to then quantify all that into mathematical like percentages and then numbers and break that down but i love it it's great i just love watching people play the game it makes me happy was there any feedback that came in that surprised you or something that was just like we never uh, thought of that all right i'll tell you one it was a massive oversight from us at the time of launch is that the steam vr plug was enabled but i was like really guys no one uh, clock this one when we launched the game zone was like why is steam vr opening when we but launching the game, I was like, that should not be happening. Guys, can we fix this? So, uh, that was the big one. But the kind of big one for us has been, you know, just like seeing the different reactions, like, you know, the mechanics, the characters. That's the big one for us. And, you know, we've gained so much useful gameplay feedback as well, which we're working on at the moment. And mm -hmm. a lot of usability stuff as well. We're working on, like, a lot of different usability options. We've been taking inspiration from things like Ghost of Tsushima, uh, The Last of Us 2. And then just hearing what kind of like the community wants from like a usability standpoint. So I worked on things like colorblind settings, all sorts of things like that. So that's interesting. We've never delved with that sort of stuff before. So that's been a really, really cool one. And new gameplay stuff as well. So better PC support, new mechanics. I can't say too much about the DLC that's on the way, but that DLC ties into like all the feedback we've been receiving. We've got some new characters on the way, new maps as well that we're kind of eager. The maps are being kind of tailored to the community feedback because you know a big feedback loop for us has been you know they wanted the use of the jetpacks even more because they just love the jetpacks so much. I was like, right, let's actually mm -hmm. make the, the jetpacks to reach even more places because yeah, all games about jetpacks basically. So and it's been good to get all that sort of like you know people like combat, especially in local multiplayer. So that's been the real cool one. Even even during the circumstances when people kind of can't play as much together at the moment, watching houses, you know, families friends all sit down and play that together that's been really really useful because it's weird to like see all the families and friends on an xbox or because they have a completely different experience to the ones on a switch with joy cons and so quantifying all that different feedback and then trying to like create a piece of content that appeals to both is really interesting and it's an exciting challenge for a team you've got this big excel document of every youtube video of everyone and then you're just constantly re-watching them over and over again because then it's just like that feedback is so useful but 
yeah for a community manager it's really rewarding to see all these like youtubers all these community members that i interact with on a day-to-day -day basis and just hearing their responses it's like guys thank you and you know even the guys who say i dislike this feature i'm like oh that's cool but why do you dislike it and then they tell us that i'm like okay cool like we can quantify that and then we can actually put that into something useful which mm -hmm. allows us as developers to just grow because you know no game's perfect and it's been great to be able to like hear the goods and the bads about it, what people are like and just like, then we can work on that sort of to make content we know the community is going to love. As far as the mechanics go, how did you decide on the two mechanics with dashing and jetpacking working the way that they right. do? So the game was always going to have jetpacks originally, so I'm sure you know like we're huge Splatoon fans, like the original mm -hmm. like sort of inspiration for the game came from Splatoon. So the original origin story is we were all sat in a, a place called Crazy Pedro's, it's only kind of in the UK, and we were eating a chicken and waffle and syrup pizza at the time. We said, should we make Splatoon, but like Mario Kart in space, with otters and memes, and we'll just put jetpacks on them, and I just went, I like it. I dig it. So yeah, the kind of, the jetpack, with the jetpacks being such a big thing, we always felt like Splatoon, from a developer standpoint, didn't have enough verticality, like it was very ground based and we said it would have benefited so much from being able to like, you know, go mental with split screen and verticality. So we said, why don't we put jetpacks in and test it? So the jetpack mechanic was crucial to getting right and it went through a lot of iterations because, you know, making sure that they go up at the right time, but it's not so OP to the point where, you know, you can't actually hit someone in the sky. And it, it went mm -hmm. through different variations of iterations just to get right. But the initial idea of jetpacks did come from literally the beginning. Dodge came originally actually from one of our mid-map objectives. So we have this, my favorite mid-map objective is called Hoop Dive and you've got to dodge mm. for it. And originally, you know, we had it as jetpack and I was like, you're too static and you're too much in the air. Like other players can take you down. So it's like, what if you could just go, but not so fast. And it also created a fun combat kind of feature because then you could dodge out of the way if you didn't have any jetpack ammo in your jetpack. So, you know, it kind of gave players that little bit more assurance that they could avoid incoming, basically, projectiles without being a sitting duck. So that's kind of where the original, like, dodge sort of came from. But mm. the actual mechanic of the game and concept was pretty simple. It was, you know, jetpacks, basically firing at other players, dodging, and then just picking up things and firing back. That was pretty much simple. But obviously, when you've got such you mechanics you kind of got to really nail those and get them refined and tweaked to make sure that they work because you haven't got much of a fallback if they don't work out very well so for mm -hmm. us getting jetpacks right was very crucial as far as splatoon goes the only stage that i can really think of that's quote-unquote vertical is uh moray towers where you've got the two towers and you work your way down and then work your way back up on the other that side was that was one uh, of our early inspirations as well that tower like we wanted to create a map like that but we love splatoon so much like splatoon the big ones for us are splatoon overcooked mario kart and we actually really really like human fall flat in the end because we kind of did want to have like that silly element that's where the customization originally mm -hmm. came from human fall flat for characters that silly little dress up your avatar as much as humanely possible and they feel very customized so yeah we take very inspiration from like those silly little party games because we're the party developers, our best memories come from, you know, like the split screen golden eye days of sitting there with your friends, actually playing a game together, not just online, and actually creating those memories together, like when we'd sit and play Mario Kart with our parents. And we wanted to kind of bring that experience to Nintendo Switch, especially because Switch was 
kind of like the big one for us as developers to get the game on because we always said the, the idea is a perfect Switch game and that's what we wanted to go for. And to be the first ever split screen local multiplayer shooter was a big, big one. So we're so glad we got there on that one when we did. Absolutely. I, I had a look up what uh, Human Fall Flat was called. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard of that before. So I'll have to check that out. Because all the other games that you mentioned like are some of my like you know, high tier, like, yes, these games are great. I, I love local multiplayer games. You've um, never played Human Fall Flat. I've never played Human Fall I've never even heard of Human Fall Flat. And now that I feel is, uncultured. That That is very uncultured. Very <laughs> uncultured. Right. Do, do you have anyone living in the house with you? Nobody that I could play with. So I oh. will... You I'll, need to I'll get, get it and look forward to the day where I can play it. Okay. If you can get four people to sit and play that game with you, it is some of the best banter game you will ever have. It is hilarious. It, I love it. We, one of the original ideas we had for Over the Ottoman came from Human Fall Flat. We wanted to create that sort of experience, but we were like, no, we, we can't. We can't go up against a colossal like that with such. <laughs> I was like, no, no. But in Human Fall Flat will always be one of those like indie inspirations for us. Like we, we aspire to be a bit like those guys. Create a fun party game that people just love. Cause we love it. it. It's it's a commonly played one in the studio. Love it to bits. Do you usually play games uh, right in the studio then? Uh, yeah, we do, and I actually don't play games that often outside mm -hmm. of outside of work because you know when you we run an event called Manchester Games Unite, and when you run events about games and you make games, you kind of try and take a bit of a break. But inside the studio, we're always playing games because we're trying like take inspiration from what's going on, you know, in the industry, current trends current mechanics that we can utilize mm -hmm. a lot of research I, I call playing games research yeah i get to do that as research that's amazing mm -hmm. but yeah we play a lot of them every friday we play games we have a game day in the studio and we just sit and you know we play a game and take inspiration from it even games that you might not think necessarily inspired like and plants v zombies we took a lot of inspiration from that in the sense of you know that very tactical sort of arty style you know like mixing a bit of a shooter and silliness but with a really high priced art style tons of indie games because there's so much different inspiration out there and we know actually a lot of studios as well because it turns out a lot of them are right near the doors like the uk industry is one of those like it's so well hidden the uk games industry but it's so big people just don't realize it especially the indie scene yeah there are a lot of uk uh, indie studios where in the uk are you are you located so we're based in Manchester, so mm. basically the city that no one knows about because everyone only knows about London. Mm -hmm. When any anyone outside of the UK hears hears about the UK, they think, "Oh, are you from London?" And we're just like, <laughs> "No, no, there's other places other than London and Edinburgh." Uh, yeah, so we're from Manchester, which is the best city in the UK, and uh, yeah, we all basically were a bunch of uni students, and then we basically said, "Should we?" we set up a studio and that's what we are and manchester is a very fortunate it's a very creative city like there's a lot of creative talent here like most of the a lot of well not most of mm -hmm. actually no no i'm gonna go I'm, I'm gonna stick to my guns on that one most of the uk talent comes from manchester we've got one of the big we've got the best nightlife scenes in the entire country we've got some of the best music artists in the country some of the best artists we've got banksy we've got banksy we can hold that over the rest of the world Banksy's ours <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, we're a very creative city, so to have such creativity around us as developers mm -hmm. is really, really good. And there's so many famous indie studios in Manchester as well. Like the creators of Overcook, for example, one of our biggest inspirations are in Manchester. So those guys are great to talk to. I know, mm -hmm. it's scary. 
very scary. And, you know, you've got like white paper games created on the occupation. Um, you've got Milk Tea, which is just down the street from us. You've got Sony Liverpool, which is just down the street from us. My, Ubisoft Manchester. Like, there's so many people in Manchester. It just doesn't get talked about. So, yeah, it's a really, really great place to set up a studio just for the creativity side more of it. That's where we're based. Yeah, I'm so. First off, I'm just terrible at geography in general. Like, if, if yeah. you were to ask me to name all the U.S. states, I'd probably get maybe, like, 43 of them, which is a little embarrassing. That's probably <laughs> one more than me. <laughs> so, I, I, I just looked up Manchester on maps. Because I, I, I went to the U.K. Uh, in 2018. I visited a friend Did down in Red Hill. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, Red Hill. Red Hill's nice. I uh, went to London... And then I also visited a friend up in Nottingham, but I didn't make it as far north as Manchester. Oh my god. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking of like your accent. I bet the first thing you said was, oh my god, is this Nottingham? Because that, that is literally like, oh, every American person I ever says, are you from Edinburgh, London, or Nottingham? It is the three places. So, of course you went to London and Nottingham. Of course. <laughs> I know people there. What can you say? Yeah, I know, I know, to be fair. Did you have a nice time when you visited? Uh, yeah, it was, it was really pleasant. Um, the, the thing that I loved the most about my visit um, is my first time to Europe. Public oh, transportation is just, like, a thing that you can reliably use and not think about. It's incredible. I, I can understand why to, to an American, our transport seems amazing. To us, it's horrendous. <laughs> I, I went like four hours across the country using trains and buses and whatnot. Um, we're only, we're only here in the US, that gets really complicated if it's even an option. I've always wanted to go to the US as well. I've never actually been. I, I will go to New York one day. <laughs> yeah, I've never been there either. Uh, I, there's so many places in the US. I've never made it to the, the East Coast. Um, yeah, where, where have you been? Oh, okay, right. Um, I have a list. So I've been to fifteen countries so far. Mm. Well, fifth location. So I've been to I've been all over Italy. I've been to India. I've been to Jamaica. Been to Spain. Been to Malta. All right, we're getting 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 deep here. Bulgaria. Uh, right, my upper brain brain's going fried a little bit here. I know. I'm asking you the the hard questions, the questions you weren't prepared to answer. I, I know. I've been to that many places, this is genuinely very hard to remember off by art. <laughs> to Italy, to Italy, Bulgaria, Malta, Spain, Jamaica, India. There's been, there's been a lot. Do you have a favorite out of all those? Malta. Malta? Yeah, Malta's a great place. With Italy behind it, because I love Rome. Rome's an amazing place to visit. Bit, bit touristy, but I really, really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Malta's my favorite. I'm a typical guy. I like to sit on the beach and just chill in the sun. Like that, that is fully me. Like if I can just sit and burn in the sun, I will gladly <laughs> just get a tan there. Like because I, I don't know when you came to the UK. It's pretty much just miserable here. Like twenty four seven, it just rains all the time. So it's just like take us away. This is why British people like going on holiday so much. We, we <laughs> We want the sun. As far as uh, traveling, have you gone to any, uh, you know, like e events or conferences? 
Yeah, we do a lot. So I say we run Manchester Games United, which is the UK's mm. largest gaming event and the UK's largest games industry, which is like a big thing for us as a studio to say that we organise. We do develop Brighton, we've been to GDC, we've been to EGX or um, Eurogamer, as I think you guys might know it as. Uh, mm. I've, always wanted, I've always wanted to go to San Diego Comic Con. That's on the big list. But I don't know. It's one of those, like, I don't know if I want to go as a developer or if I want to go as a consumer. Right. Because with it being like a mixed bag of like game, film, and like, I don't know, because I kind of just want to go as like a film fanatic and just be like, oh my God, it's the cast of Vikings. And just like, we, yeah, go as a consumer. So, well, we do a ton of events. Like, we, lo we love, because I love doing events. As an event organizer, it's magical, but just attending events and showcasing the game off is amazing. Like, it's tiring because your voice is just broken, like, the end of it. But I absolutely love it. It's amazing. Yeah. As, as an indie developer yourself, have you ever showcased at any events? I've never personally showcased, but I've helped at a few friends' booths, just like manning it yeah. for a few hours here and there. Um, it's, and yeah, it's, it's fun. It's just magical, like watching people and then you just look at them play your game. Because for developers, that's although booths can be quite expensive, it's free QA. Well, I say free in the terms of, you know, you might be paying for a slot or, you know, it's, if it's a free showcase, then it is free QA. But. <laughs> For developers, that's a great chance just to get community members and just to be able to like just see their game being played, and that's so valuable to just watch so many people like that you don't know and that aren't a QA team that you just get to see the people you're making the game for actually play it, mm -hmm. which is just amazing. But in terms of events, I'm just a social guy in general. I love chatting to people, so events are great for me. Uh, <laughs> GDC is like I was very sad when GDC got cancelled, but I understand why. But it's just a shame for the UK, well not the UK, the whole games industry event mm -hmm. sector. Gamers Unite has been put on hold because of it, which is a big boom downer for us, but like a big bummer for like all the other events that are just shut down. But obviously people's health come first and that takes yeah. priority. But I can't wait till they're all back up and running again, especially Develop Brighton. That's the, have you ever heard of Develop Brighton? Mm -hmm. That's my favourite one, just because it's just the whole UK games industry in literally one location it's it's great it's great for just people catching up you know indie developers making friends and yeah that's the big one i'm looking forward to coming back i'm very curious to see what the future holds for conferences though because it's never going to be the same as it once was so i am mm -hmm. i don't want to speculate but it's going to be very interesting to see what what is actually going to be because is it going to be restrictions on how many people can go is it you know, is it going to be the case where everyone comes where there's massive health checks in place? Like, we just don't know. So mm -hmm. that's going to be very interesting. But I don't think we're going to be seeing any events till next year at this rate now anyway. That's the great thing about game developers, though. It's like, we were ready for this. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we, we can still work. We, 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 we make games. We can do mm -hmm. from home. That was an interesting one, launching a game during a global pandemic. Like, that was a very... I can add that to the CV. Like, I, I consider that an achievement. <laughs> launched the game during a pandemic ding like how many, check how many that studios, off yeah, how many studios can say they get to do that like that is a big big one the only sad thing was that obviously we all were in the same room when we did it like two of the team were the ones who actually like clicked the upload button I was like this is this is like Elon Musk building a rocket for three years and he doesn't get to <laughs> rocket launch <laughs> like I was like, oh, I wasn't in the room. I didn't get to watch the big... Yeah.
Oh. If I, I feel like an otter space pun is is due here because you just said launch a rocket into you know. See, I was I was waiting for you to make that lovely reference. Uh -huh. Because everyone's sick of hearing me make all the memes and puns now. I'm glad it's picking on with other people now, though. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah, Otter Space, you know, it's utterly amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. Utterly amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I made a few the other day with uh, with my co-host, Ian, and uh, just heard a lot of very long, drawn-out sighs uh, yeah. <laughs> from, the, from the end of the call. That's a sign we did our job right. I think <laughs> the whole game was just a pun originally as well. Like the actual name didn't, it, it has nothing to do with like the real world counterpart. Like that wasn't even a thought at the time. Like it actually came because we were watching a David Attenborough documentary. We just went, should we just make a game called the Ottoman Empire? So that's where it came from. It's, like, it's just a play on words. And if it's making people sigh, that's a sign it's done its job. Good to know. Good to know. I'm gonna write that down in my uh, in my you know in, hot tips journal. Make yeah, people sigh. If, if they're sighing because of puns, you've done it right. Yeah, I mean, if if a pun doesn't like emotionally scar you a little bit, you know, if you don't feel it in your soul, was it yeah. was it really a pun? Yeah, I agree with that philosophy. That that's that's how all puns should be. To be fair <laughs> though, when we first started the project, my actual task was the meme lord like i actually had to find the memes that could be made from this game where we were actually choosing all like the different otters and stuff i had to come up with all because actually we were originally going to call all the mid-map objectives like otter puns so mm -hmm. this is like way 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 back like three years ago when we were building an entirely different game i was just writing memes and puns for like just every one of the mid-map objectives <laughs> and it was like this is my job i this is my job. I actually write puns for video games. Made it. An another thing to check off the list. Just like, made puns, exactly. shipped a game during the little pandemic. I mean, what more can you ask for? Exactly. I know. Like, life is complete. Like, that's the bucket list. That is all you need on the bucket list, pretty much. Yep. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still working my way on both of them. Um, so I, I hope to s strive oh. and make it there someday. You'd be amazed at like um, at some of the developers we speak to, like the Overcooked guys, or like we know the um, Fall Guys. Have you seen Fall Guys? Oh my gosh, I got to play it yesterday. I was Did oh, you? it was so much fun. I spoke to um, one of the founders that developed Brighton last year, and they were just telling us like how the game idea came from. It's just like it's nice to know that even like the double A people and the triple A people, like they just come up with these games like in silly like little meetings <laughs> or. Like, it just comes from, like, silly ideas. It's, like, it's not like this big, thought-out business plan. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's kind of a common thing in the industry that, like, game ideas are just born, like, from little things. I'm, I'm, like, thinking through, like, all the game ideas I've had, and some of them have been, like, me playing a game and being like, what if there was this instead? But, yeah, a lot of them are just, they just slap you in the back of the head randomly. You're like, oh, yeah, this sounds cool. Let's see if it, let's see if it works. What were some of the other ideas that you had been exploring before you decided to, you know, fully, fully go forward with the Ottoman Empire? Um, so we originally, right, we were mm -hmm. going to do like a ground-based version of it. So it was going to be um, like, it, it was going to have the look of something like Overcooked or Fall Guys, mm -hmm. but it was all going to be ground-based and it was originally going to be a paintballing course. Now, I don't think I need to tell you 
at what game we were pretty much already looking at there. And it was like, wait, have we, are we the baddies? Like, have we just ripped off something the tire we're here? Like, I was like, guys, I think that game already exists. So I was like, okay, we need to rethink. So yeah, there was a ground-based like paintball version of it. I was like, yeah, we can't do that. Um, we were, we took a bit of inspiration from Stan's parable from that originally for another idea that we had, and it was going to be called Everyone's Dead Gym. And what <laughs> everyone, Everyone's Dead Gym was going to be about was basically, um, I'll give you like the very, very short version, because it was going to be like quite a narrative experience, like Stanley's parable. But you were going to be like an office worker who basically discovers like someone in his office keeps dying every day, and he has to keep like hiding the bodies, because otherwise... <laughs> the police are going to basically like just arrest him because they think he's killing them. But you can mm-hmm. only dispose of a body once. And that, you know, like the sort of like the Batman versus Mr. Freeze mechanic where you can only perform one move on him and then you have to do a different move. You know, oh, yeah. So you can only hide the body in a specific way once before that way can never be used up again. And then basically you have to kind of like get to the heart of why these people are dying. But then you have you have to kind of figure it out before like everyone is dead but you. So then, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Then there was also the um, I think I, I don't know what it was called. I think it was like Hell's Riders or something. Or basically, you played as like the Pope in his little Pope mobile, mm-hmm. and basically like you had to outrun the devil. In like, and the devil would come for you like in these like little Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider looking guys, and it, it just I actually kind of remember what it was about. Like it was just this ridiculous like it, again like we take a lot of inspiration from older cuts like from that like party theme like sort of thing so it was going to be like really you know like stressful fast paced like sort of like overcooked tea sort of thing but yeah mm. you were going to you were basically going to be playing as the pope or a bunch of like hell's angels trying to basically chase him down effectively but then we just kind of clashed back and forth because we were a new studio and we'd never done like a narrative based game so everyone's dead gym would have just been like oh my god guys I don't think we can do that like that thing is going to require because it was going to be very branchy narrative sort of thing I was like guys we do not have the experience to do that and then obviously we kind of felt like the Pope one was a little bit too easy to mm-hmm. do so we'll go for the Ottoman Empire and that took three years to make because making a game that we kind of said let's make Splatoon meets Mario Kart with a little bit of Overwatch and was like yeah that'll be easy as a bunch of students and then well, I'll do my Marvel Freeman boys not really. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's where kind of like the original ideas, those were some of the original ideas, but in the end, Ottoman became the one that we kind of found the most utterly preferred out of them all. Ah, uh, there, there it is. There's, there's yeah. the fun. Uh, <sighs> uh, I'm glad that you got to go ahead with the Ottoman Empire because, like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, hey, this is this is a game I can I can get behind." Like, I saw it, it's like, "This looks awesome." Oh, thank you. And then you obviously much. we're here now. Yeah, thank you very much. That means a lot. Have you had much chance to play much of it yet? Uh, yeah, I played I played about two hours of it the other day. Uh, with the co-host. Uh, we we each independently, you know, went through the tutorial and then we tried using the uh, Steam Remote Play. Uh, which okay. was a little finicky to get set up at first, just Steam yeah, was being uh, an issue, but as soon as we got it up, it was it was flawless. 
Yeah, that's the thing with Steam Remote Play. It, it revolves entirely on the user's internet. So we kind of advise people who do play it, like that's kind of in like the game description, like whoever's doing that has put, make the person with the strongest internet the host. Mm-hmm. And then you just have less chance of being a bit finicky. But did you guys enjoy like the split screen aspects of it? And, and yeah. Most transfer screen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So the the finickiness was actually his controller wasn't being ported over. Like he could he could use the keyboard, but his controller wasn't being picked up for some reason. Uh, so uh, Steam yeah. was just being dumb. So we both restarted Steam and it, it worked fine. As far as split screen goes, we played a couple rounds like competitive, uh, and then we we're like, you know what? Like I think this would be more fun if we had four people because just the two of us. Mm. Like it was obvious who was better at the game. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we're like, let's let's throw in, you know, some some enemies into the mix, and uh, the hoops one. What was it called? Yeah. Uh, Squidage. Oh, Squidage. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, you thinking about what you have to die through, or the ones that you have to dunk into? Yes. Oh, the the ones that you gotta you gotta dunk, dunk. into. Yeah, Squidage. Yes, Squidage. Uh, I enjoyed that. The hoops one, I found it incredibly difficult to get the timing down. I just I. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I got this perfectly, and I would get through, and then sometimes it's like, oh, no, like, I was too high, too low. Um, Hoop Dive my favorite objective as well, just for that, because it creates those, like, tense, I'm going to make it, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're falling, and you're like, oh, no, it moved too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's a great one. Who's your favorite character? Um, so we only unlocked two characters, the, the starting one, um, and then the second one that had the strainer on the head, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah. So, Oh, yeah, because as you play through the campaign, you unlock more characters. That's kind of like how you unlock those characters, and then the single-player assets can then carry on into the multiplayer, because we kind of wanted to give people a reason to play the campaign, mm-hmm. even if it's just unlock new customization options and more characters. I say once you complete the whole campaign you then unlock every character for the multiplayer mm-hmm. as well because obviously we kind of want players to explore every aspect of the game that has to be an offer yeah and I, I suppose now that you mentioned that you you took inspiration from overcook i can see yeah. how the star system that you implemented is, yeah that uh, because um, with that is that we kind of wanted to give players a reason to go back and play it like you know and a star system kind of shows okay you can do this but if you can then go back and redo that and then you can get three stars will unlock this and then it gives people more just more customizables you know like hey i got every star in the campaign here's my lucky hat and then people see that hand go mm-hmm. that guy i want that hat and then they'll go play the campaign some more to unlock the customizables and you know there's a lot of customization in the game so we really wanted to like really give so much options to each character so each character has their own unique skins and then there's so many toppers and jetpacks to choose from and the community have actually took a huge part in designing a lot of those because you know we run a lot of competitions mm-hmm. and just loads of different stuff and we say you can create your own character and we'll pick a winner and then that person's character skin or jetpack or accessory gets put into the game and oh, you know, very interesting yeah yeah well, I, I like doing that because i want the communities to feel like they have an active part in the game you know just to mm-hmm. see their stuff like, we run like massive discord mini games and like we had this big like text adventures one that went on for two months and it just it became like this whole elimination process. It was like a game of D and D, effectively. Uh-huh. And by the end, the surviving player would get to choose a jetpack for the actual game, and he made a toaster. So if you've ever seen the toaster jetpack, that's him. It sounds familiar, but I don't know if I actually yeah. see it. 
it's one of those you've either seen it on socials or you might have unlocked it in the game but yeah if anyone's listening to this and you get the toaster that was won by a two month long D ottoman campaign <laughs> two month long that that is oh, amazing Discord. Discord every single day at 7 p.m. UK time. There was a game in D and D going on. We actually have one running right now at the moment. If anyone's interested in joining that, but it's, oh yeah, it's coming towards the end. But like the big battle is almost here, so there's time to get involved in the big battle. Fantastic. The Discord campaigns. How often do they run? Like, is there going to be another well, one or? Yeah, there will be more. It's kind of one of those like we. It's not like D and D, like the traditional. Like it's designed around the theme bottom, and it's got its own story. So mm-hmm. it takes a while to like compose some of those things. Cause, you know, we like to make sure that they're like, quite interesting and they're relevant to like the story of the game. Mm-hmm. So we throw one of those together every kind of like few months. Uh huh. But then the winners obviously get to like do something for the game. And then we have tons of like mini competitions, like art competitions, or like costume design competitions or t-shirt giveaways or prize giveaways so you know we always like to do stuff for the community because you know the community have just been so loving so we like to give a little bit of something back absolutely yeah how big is the discord right now uh it's about nearly 700 people mm, okay so that's fairly big you know quite mm. quite decent there's always good conversation in there as well every single day so you won't be bored Quite quite a lot of memes, though, I will say that. So if you like memes, it's definitely like a hangout for you. People love their memes. So how did the studio come together? How did everyone meet one another? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a secret on this. My business partner, if he was here, would scold me if I tried to tell you the original origin story. So the, the origin story we tell people is that we were just a bunch of students that mm-hmm. met in student then went to pizza. Now, that is true. But the actual forming of the team was I was a second year at the time and they were uh-huh. third year university. I didn't know any of these guys like at all. Like they were complete strangers to me. Like before I'd even spoken to you before today, like that is a level of stranger they were to me. Now I went to the toilets to go to urinate and then a guy mm-hmm. comes up to me, very close, mind you, <laughs> and he turns around to me and just goes We've been talking about you. I'm just like, hello, do I know you? <laughs> Meet us in the student lounge. We've got a proposition for you. Now, any other human being would have called police immediately mm-hmm. after receiving that. I decided to follow the nice man down into the dark student lounge because, you know, I'm safe like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was like, we like your work and we'd like to set up an indie studio with you. I was like, Okay, and then we went to. <laughs> I, I didn't know these guys. I didn't know uh-huh. them at all. That's a hell of an origin story. That's one hell of a load of mm-hmm. fake to pop someone. But so we went for a chicken and waffle and syrup pizza at a place called Crazy Pedro's, and then we came up with the idea of the game. And then we sort of like started developing the game based in like our university originally. So we actually mm-hmm. lived at the university while we could. Then we managed to get an office somewhere. And to anyone who's seen our documentary knows what happens next. So we got about a year into development and said, right, we need to scrap the game in entirely. And then the ceiling fell through whilst we were all working and collapsed our studio into the ground, quite literally. Are you talking a physical, like literal yeah. ceiling? Yeah, okay. yeah, a literal, just fell on top of us while we were working. And it was like, oh, oh shit. Um, 
okay. So we didn't have an office for four months, and the team worked at a Starbucks in Manchester for four months straight as an office. I kid you not, This there was a table of eight just nerdy guys sat at a table in Starbucks with laptops, like Xbox controllers. Starbucks loved us. Like, they absolutely adored us. We, we were spending huge amounts of money there for four months. And they were just mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, hey, guys, how's it going? Clocking. I was like, hi, Mary, how are you? Clocking in every day. <laughs> Honestly, it was just four months, and that, that was when the studio went through a bit of a hard period because we didn't know people were coming and going because, you know, it's hard to track a project like that when you're all working at a Starbucks. And... <laughs> I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was... Basically, that was four months that the game kind of progress and development went really slow. But then we managed to get a new office, which is where we are now. And then the game uh-huh. started to take form into like its new. What the game you see today, basically, was born in the new office that we moved into. And then I came in one day, and we didn't have a ceiling there. The ceiling fell through on us again. In a new office, in a new place. I know this project is cursed. I was thoroughly convinced. The ceiling wants to kill us. I I had a ceiling cave in in an apartment once, and I was like, "This thing, th- this doesn't happen very often. Like ceilings don't collapse very often." And now I'm hearing this happen twice to you. Yeah, twice. Yeah, I guess that's, that's that's a new screening question when you move into an office or an apartment or a house. Just be like, "So, how's the ceiling? Is it is it oh, good? No, is it going to cave in?" We asked that question. So the building moved us into a new office, and the first <laughs> we did was run like a damp test on the walls, like, right, is it damp, is it, is it, is it wet at all, like, can we see if we've got the fall through, no, no, but we've started seeing like little cracks in the ceiling here in this new one, I'm just, I sit there every day at my laptop, just like, it's gonna come, I can feel it, <laughs> so yeah, that's it, and then, so we've been basically, we basically made the game then that you see today for ages, and We've been learning a lot as developers, you know, we learned how to make a game for Switch because it's not making a game for Switch is not the same as making a game for Xbox and mm-hmm. the whole game was like a massive learning curve for us as a studio but yeah, the kind of, the game we did, the launch of the Ottoman Empire was kind of just like the beginning of what we've got planned for the game, like there's more to come so it was, it's been a hell of a journey making this game, like if anyone's interested we made a documentary on it, we made two that kind of like showcase like the whole mm-hmm. development of the game. So I really recommend mm-hmm. checking those out if like you're interested in seeing the actual collapsed state of the roof. When I say it, it fell in on us, like it actually fell in on us, like mm-hmm. see, <laughs> so you've got documentation. Like there's there's proof. Yeah, there's a there's like, a video of like the actual ceiling <laughs> just going like because we used to record dev diaries a lot. Like we used to do like a daily dev diary. So we used to record the whole studio every single day. So we just watched, we just watched in horror as it went. The camera survived though, somehow. I don't know how. Don't ask me how the camera survived. And somehow no one was injured, despite an mm-hmm. entire scene falling on us. That is a miracle within itself. But the center of the office literally fell into a pit in the floor. So like the depths of hell were like just trying to swallow the office up. And everyone still survived, yeah. So yeah, but, yeah, that's good. I mean, two ceiling collapses. You would think that there would be some equipment or you know bodily damage. Um, we did lose a bunch of plants though, so did that count as a casualty? The plants. Uh, we lost the office plants. I was mm-hmm. very sad. 
our, our poor IKEA funds, so we're just gone. I was like, no. Did you, did you put did you put a gravestone in the uh, in the game? Here lies plants. No. So instead, we just went and bought new plants and replaced them in the mm, new office. That that works too. Yeah. yeah I, was, uh, <laughs> I was like, you shall be remembered through your replacement. Yeah, but to be fair though, I will say this: we got a bigger office out of those roof collapses. So you know what? I'm I'm not against it, and we got a lovely pink wall. So I'm sure you can tell I dig the colour pink quite a lot. So mm -hmm. we got this lovely giant pink wall as well. So I was like, I dig this new place. Yeah, we two offices collapsed and launching during a global pandemic. That, that, that's mm -hmm. quite a tale for indie developers. Which which shade of pink is it? Like a soft pink, or is it like a bubblegum pink? It's like a bubblegum pink. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It, does it bring quite a bit of energy then? I can imagine you know, that vibrant yeah. of a color just lifts you up. Yeah, I like that. Because our current office was, our old office was gray. Mm. So it didn't, a, it didn't have a window. So I was just like, I don't like this. And then the ceiling collapsed. And I was like, oh, <gasps> we got a new office. New office. I was just like, yay. And we moved somewhere with a window and a pink wall. So I was quite happy about that. Nice. I just got a new laptop this year, and while I was figuring out what theme I wanted Windows to be, I was like, you know what? Let's see how pink looks. So I made Windows pink, the command line pink. I have a GitHub uh, like style extension that made the site black with pink text. It's a good color. No, um, and I'm kind of mad that growing up, like it was stigmatized. Like, no, this, you know, not a color you can like, Brett, because. You know, well, it's funny about that because pink used to be a boys' color originally, mm -hmm. it was designed for boys, and now it's just um, it it we've got stigmatized for girls. It's like, it's, yeah. So it's just, I don't get where it came from, but yeah, it's a great color. I love it, as you, as I'm sure you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's now that I've like finally gotten over the stigmatization of it. It's just like pink this, pink that. Heck yeah. Um, I also really like coral. Um, you know, kind of like an orange, orangey pink combination. Oh, orange is my favorite color. Same here. It, it's I mean, so you can see in my profile icon right there. <laughs> or I don't know yeah. if it actually shows up. Yeah, it doesn't actually show your, yours. To be fair, it shows my face in the corner. Oh, me. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other questions about the game at all that you'd be interested in knowing about? Because we've got plenty of stories. I'm very curious what modes you wanted to implement but decided against because they just didn't quite work out. Yeah, it's we did cut a lot of stuff. So the game was originally meant to have 20 maps and 20 characters. So and how many did it end up with? Eight, but there's another two on the way. So okay. it's going to have 10 overall. So we'll have half of what we originally planned. It's That happens in game development, sadly. That is just game development. But uh, in terms of modes, Mm -hmm. We did have we had a floor is made of like lava like equivalent one, but uh -huh. it, we decided against that because it didn't allow you to you it allowed you to utilize the jetpacks. The problem was you couldn't go in the rivers, and obviously you need the rivers to utilize jetpacks. Mm -hmm. So that one fell apart quite quick. But we actually wanted to do like a um, bank robbery one, like a really really cool. You've got to break into somewhere and steal like a fish, mm -hmm. but like you know if you were say, say playing solo. It was kind of impossible because it required a team to do so. You know, it kind of alienated single player people mm -hmm. effectively. So it was like, oh, I can't really go ahead with that one. Uh, I'm not trying to think what else we had. There was that many that kind of got scrapped. Like, the, 
in our office, like we just come up with stuff in the fly, like an hour, and then an hour later, we'd be like, no, Bim, that it, it doesn't work. So there's just so many to choose from. But, all right, I don't have another mode, but I can tell you a map that we really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Go for a it. Space, a space favela. Ooh. I know, like a Brazil. So we wanted to go for like a Brazilian favela. Because, you know, it was very, you know, like, intertwined. It brought players back around on themselves because you could just have the whole thing and very urbanised city feel to it. Because uh, at the moment, Autopolis, the main city, is very clean. You know, it's very pristine. It's not very... I said, let's go the opposite. Let's, let's show, like, a seedy Ottoman underworld. Because in the D&D campaign, I mentioned, we established, like, an Otter underworld, like, where criminals live. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? why don't we make that into, like, an actual place? Like, let's show the seedy side of Otter space. And I was like, mm. but in the end, it didn't end up happening. I was really, really gutted about that. I was like, no, I wanted that map. And uh, we've had more ones for like more verticality and stuff like that. So, but there are two really good maps that are on the way. I think you're all going to like. Is there any planned like release window for the DLC that people can expect um, to buy? Or is it kind of just still up in the air? No, um, so it is being developed at the moment, I can mm -hmm. say that very much. Some of it is entering its polishing stages now, so it's not too far off, if that makes sense. So I don't want to give a definite time frame, but mm -hmm. it's not going to be long, 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 long. Like, you're not going to be talking like six months. I will say as much, like, you can make DLC quick as you want, but getting the actual DLC in an update for the game just takes time because, you know, Steam is the easiest one, like, you know, you can just upload an update onto Steam, like, like that, like, it's really mm -hmm. easy, you know, for, like, DLC and stuff, you've got to go for, like, certification processes at Nintendo and Xbox, so that stuff takes a real lot of time, so, like, for people who think that developers are just taking their sweet time with DLC, these things take a lot of paperwork to, like, just get through, like, processes and stuff, so mm -hmm. we, we, we promise to get it to you as soon as possible, once these processes allow us. What new things are coming to the DLC that you can talk about at this time? That it, and we are going to be adding new enemy types into the game. I can confirm that. That mm -hmm. is on the way. We have been listening to the community feedback. We understand. We've seen the memes of the drones. We, we've seen them. We know you all hate them. Uh, like we, we understand like the, the irritation around that and the desire for like more diverse enemy types. So we are working on creating some new drones, some new bots some more ground stuff you know just start stuff like diversify the combat a little bit more and just give it a little bit more of a challenge shall we say thanks for coming on it was, it was a blast chatting it's been absolutely lovely chatting to you brett thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure to be on with you thank you for listening in to episode 88 of indie radio indie radio is recorded using open broadcaster software and edited with audacity you can find more of our shows on google podcasts apple podcasts and soundcloud Next week, we chat with Agog Entertainment about their upcoming title, Brutal Grounds, a fast-paced, competitive, top-down shooter where the player battles using war balls equipped with weapons and abilities. Thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you then.